Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I have learned contentment. Contentment is not natural, friends. None of us are naturally content. In fact, it is exactly the opposite. True contentment is a decision. It requires submission. It doesn't mean I have to love my situation. It doesn't mean I have to love everything that goes on. It's okay to admit, Lord, this is painful. But Lord, I choose to submit to you. You are trustworthy and you are loving. And I am going to plow on knowing that you are trying to accomplish something in my life and through me. And I choose your strength. True contentment doesn't mean we don't desire more. It just means that I'm thankful for what I do have, and I'm patient for God's supply. Contentment. A contented person is going to have a better marriage. A contented person is going to be a better worker. They're going to be a better Christian. Just having this bottom line, baseline of contentment, of peace, is an amazing way to live. Contentment being grateful for what we have. And sometimes uh, we might be uh, thankful we didn't get what we asked for. Consider the two tears who met one day. Yes, tears. One tear said to the other tear, who are you? That tear said, I am the tear of a girl who loved a man and lost him. Who are you? That tear said, I am the tear of the girl who found him and married him. So maybe we ought to be grateful for what we do have. Let's all bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. Thank you for the faithfulness of this church and of the staff who, Lord, though we were uh, 10,000 miles away, Lord, these people were faithfully serving God. Thank you. Bless us this morning. Holy Spirit, meet with us. God, make us content. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what have we learned in the weeks that we have been talking about this subject? There's so many verses in the Bible actually about this subject. I think it deserves a full and a real strong look at it. We have found that true contentment lies in not what we have, but whose we are. The Apostle Paul said, I know how to abound. We all like abounding, amen. And sometimes actually it's hard to learn how to have a lot, but I've learned how to abound, and he said, I've learned how to be abased. He said, I've learned how to have a lot and how to suffer need. But he said, in all things, I've learned how to be content. That reminds me then that everything is temporary. Are you just so blessed right now? Then enjoy it, because it's temporary. Are you just having a tough time? Well, don't get too down, because it really is temporary. Contentment comes from a conviction in God's sovereign providence, we learned. We found that it contains at least four things, trustfulness, use, unselfishness, gratefulness, and prayerfulness. We also talked about false contentment. Some people feel like that, well, I, I just need to chill because that's what contentment is. But no, contentment is having contentment with what we have, but not with who we are. Real contentment means I'm going to continue to strive to be the best Christian I can be. And so let's go this morning to Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 5, one of the greatest verses on this subject. 
Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5. Let's all read it together. If you don't have the King James Version, just dial it up on your phone there, or you can see the PowerPoint here. Let's all read that out loud. Ready? Begin. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Three important truths I see in this verse here this morning. And first of all, a charitable conversation. Notice the word conversation. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And what is that charitable lifestyle or manner of life? It is a life of contentment. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Let your conversation be without covetousness. It is vital, God says, that your conversation be without covetousness. You say, does that mean I should not talk covetously? Well, of course, that would include that. But the word conversation in Scripture is a bigger word. It includes more than just our talk. It includes our thoughts, our actions, our entire life. Notice what the first part of that verse says. It says, let. Let your manner of life be without contentment. That means we have to let something happen. We have to let God step in and do a work. We have to be proactive. In other words, we can't simply say, well, you know, I'm just a, uh, some people are kind of a contented type and some people aren't. Some people are type A and type whatever. I don't know what the other type is, but some people are just uh, alpha people and other people are not. Well, that may be true. There may be some basic personality uh, hardwired into us. I'm sure that's the case. But the fact is, whether you're a type A or not, or contented style or not contented style, what God is saying here, you have to let this be part of your life. If you don't, it's not going to happen. You have to let the Holy Spirit make you a giver and not a taker. And that's what this whole verse is about, is about having a verse that is a, or having a lifestyle that's a generous lifestyle. Let it, let your life be without covetousness. Without it. Not even a hint. Don't let it be anywhere in your life. Ferret it out and push it out. Don't let any covetousness be in your life. He said, let it be without covetousness. Covetousness. That's greed, that's taking, that's getting, that's wanting, that's covetousness. It's just let your life be not a getting life, but a giving life. Your life should be characterized by your giving and not by your getting. I mean, whatever you get, we ought to just say, thank God for it. Amen. It's, it's gravy. But the fact is, my life is about giving. Every year about this time, uh, as the holiday season rolls around, we'll have people who will hear reports of a secret Santa, somebody who will leave a $100 tip to a, a waitress or someone who will, you know, bring the pizza deliverer in and give them, you know, $1,000 or things like It's awesome to live a life of giving, a secret Santa. Well, you know, we ought to be, we ought to be spiritual secret Santas. We ought to just be going everywhere just making sure we give we reach out. We love people. The Bible says, without covetousness, let your life be characterized by generosity, by charitableness, not by covetousness. If someone were to say about you, oh, Tim Pollock, if you were to say, he is a content person. He just strikes me as a content person. What would, 
Uh, what would signify that? What would be uh, earmarks? What would be ways we could discern that? Well, according to Scripture here, the one way we discern that is he's not a covetous person. He doesn't seem to be always trying to get things, but he just seems to have a person who is a giving person. Don't allow ourselves in the least to be about all our toys. You know, the ones with the most toys wins. And God says it is, it is just not to be. In fact, God says that kind of a mindset is disgusting. It's disgusting. Look at the verse prior to verse 5 here. Look at verse 4. God often puts covetousness in the same category as the most disgusting sins. Look what it says, marriage is honorable and all. And the bed doesn't defile, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Then verse 5, God says, don't let your life be full of covetousness and discontentment. So God's having a list of sins here. Here he talks about adultery and sexual sin. And he said, adultery, sexual sin, it's about getting. It's, it's not about giving. It's not about true love. It's about lust. He said, really, it's no different than a discontent life. It's about covetousness. In another place, God calls covetousness idolatry. The fact is, our discontentment is one of the worst sins according to Scripture. And yet, it's one of the uh, least known, I think, of sins for Christians. We don't think about it very often. Now, this verse here doesn't really contain any super deep doctrine, but it is it's such an important, so practical for all of us. It is not only one of our greatest duties as Christians, it's one of the rarest of all qualities. Adam and Eve had everything in the Garden of Eden, everything they could possibly want. All the fruit, all the food, it was amazing. I told the precious people in the Philippines, I said, I came here for two great spiritual reasons. And they looked at me, wondered what this, uh, this uh, spiritual giant from America would say. And I said, I came for the first reason, and that is to preach the blessed gospel to the people of the Philippines. And they smiled. And I said, the second reason is to come and to eat mangoes. And uh, I'll tell you what, they have the best mangoes in the world there in the Philippines. And truth is, God made those mangoes in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve have everything. They had the sweetest mangoes that you could ever have. They had everything that you could possibly imagine. And yet, there was one tree they were not to touch. And that was the one tree they wanted. Discontentment, how we are that we can have everything, and yet we can even have mangoes, and we've got to have that one tree that just gets our attention. I want more. I want more. You know, there's two phrases that our little children learn so early in life. The first one is what? No. <laughs> No, 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 no. They learn that. I don't know what it is. It's so quick. The second one they learn so often and so quickly is the word more. <laughs> they even have sign language. More, more. I want more. And those are things that they learn so early. But God wants us to learn to be content. Honestly, in this negative world that we live in, it seems those many people are looking for so many reasons to be unhappy and rather than focusing on the reasons to be happy and for what we do have rather than the things that we don't have. There's a story from the ancient times that tells of a king who was suffering from a real emotional problem, a mental malady. 
He was advised by his wise men that if he would be cured, if he could just wear the shirt of a contented man. And so the search began far and wide in the kingdom for a contented man. They went here and they went there. And at long last, they found a contented man. But he had no shirt. And then they realized that contentment doesn't come from anything we wear or anything we have. It is not external. It is internal. Notice what it says, let your conversation or lifestyle be without covetousness or without greed, without this constant getting, but to be a giving life. Lot just had to live near Sodom. When he was given his opportunity to choose where he would live, and even though his elder should have been given the first responsibility and first right, now Lot said, I want the well-watered plains of Sodom. He just had to live near Sodom. And as a result, everything he had ended up getting burned up. You know, this discontentment can so backfire on us. Notice what it says in this verse, let our hearts, let our lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things, such things, with such a job that we have, with such a mate that we have, with uh, such an income we have, with such income as we have, in such circumstances. It says with such things, things come and things go, but God said you ought to be content with those things. In the ancient centuries, there was a man by the name of Arsenius. And this man, who was a notable person in the ancient Egypt, determined to live a holy life. He abandoned everything that would be of any sort of physical and temporary. He followed a very very spiritual lifestyle, moved to the desert so that he could spend his time there. And there uh, in the desert, that thing is flopping around on me today. He visited, uh, though he was in the desert, he came back to visit the great city of Alexandria. While he was there, he walked around the beautiful bazaars, walked through the marketplace. And someone asked him, they said, well, I thought thought you were all about the living a spiritual life. I thought you didn't care about any of this stuff. And he said, I'll tell you why I come. My heart gets happy because when I come here and see all of this, I see all the things I don't even need. (laughs) That's just what I see. I see all the things I don't even care about. And in a life that's flooded with stuff and things and goods and gadgets, I think we need that same attitude. You know what? I don't even need any of that. I read the other day that Amazon, if you get on the site, it carries 562 million, as of January, 562 million different items. They say sometimes Amazon will add as many as 500,000 new items in a single day. I'm telling you what, we are a people that have to have things, more things and more things. And here the apostle reminds us, he just said, look, our lifestyle ought to be about giving, ought to be about having to be in this secret Santa in a spiritual way. Just let it be about giving, not about giving, a charitable lifestyle. Number two, notice a sweet confirmation. What is that sweet confirmation? That is that we are cherished by God. 
Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Verse 5. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Notice that first part of that last little part, that for he hath said, for. So he's connecting this contentment with something that we can keep in our mind. He said, now keep this in your spirit. Keep this rolling around in your heart. Here's the words, and it'll help your contentment. Jesus said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. He said, fortify your mind with this thought. I am cherished by God. I am loved by God. God doesn't just put up with us, although he does put up with us. God cherishes us. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He hath said. By the way, that little phrase ought to be our daily reminder. He hath said. You know, we treasure the quotes from great people. We'll put them up on buildings and We'll talk about them and we'll, at graduations and in business meetings, you know, we'll quote great people. How much more should we treasure? He hath said. He said this. God said this. Our Savior said this. By the way, he hath said, that's the foundation of all happiness. Now in our English translation, that little phrase, he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now in our English translation, it's uh, it's wonderful, it's a blessing, but it actually loses the force of the original language. Now, if I were to take the Greek grammar and render it in English, which I am certainly no Greek scholar, I didn't, as one person said, I didn't take Greek, it took me. Now, I, I certainly had it in Bible college. But if you will take that uh, verse and you will look into the uh, original Greek grammar, here's how that verse would be rendered. Here has one uh, um, amplification puts it. He hath said, I will never, never leave thee. I will never, never, never forsake thee. Five negatives. Now in the English language, two negatives nullify each other. If you say, I don't have no money, that means you have money. <laughs> I don't have no money, I have money. But in the Greek language, every negative just intensifies the meaning when they follow each other. So he wasn't just saying, I will never leave you. He was saying, I will never, never leave you. No, he was saying, I will never, 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 never leave you. Can you imagine someone looking you in the eye, let's say a mate, and I hope you've said this to your mate, I will never leave you. That alone would be an amazing thing, just to look someone in your eye and say, I love you. I will never leave you. But to say, I will never, never leave you, that would be incredible. But to look at somebody and say, I will never, 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 never leave you, that's an amazing thing. I remember one time very many years ago when I was a young man, my dad uh, told me, he said, son, I will I will." always be there for you, and I will always watch out for you, and I will always find you. He said, you can't go anywhere where I won't chase you down. I will find you. I will come to you. I will do whatever it takes, and I remember him just looking at me like, I had this feeling like, there's nowhere I can run. <laughs> My dad's going to chase me down, and he was a man of God, a wonderful Christian, 
He was basically saying, son, you are going to serve God. And I will never let it be any other. Thank God for this beautiful language here in the Greek where it says, I will never leave you. Five times. I heard of a young seminary student who got so excited about the Greek language. And he tried to explain this to an old lady in his country church. After he had got done talking, and this lady just smiled at him and said, Sonny, God may have to say it five times for you Greek boys, but one's enough for me. I will never leave you. It's good enough for me. Now, how do we be free from covetousness? God says, just know in your spirit, God said, I'll never leave you. If you have God, we've got everything. There are at least five occasions in Scripture which match what God is saying here. Five Greek negatives in one verse, five times in Scripture where God said, I will never leave you. In Genesis chapter 28 and verse 15, God told Jacob, and behold, I am with you and will keep you in all places whither thou goest and bring thee again to this land for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken of for thee. Nobody had any more troubles than Jacob. He had to run from his own brother. He had a long journey before him, strange land, unknown roads, but God was with him. Later, his own brother came against him, but God was with him. And then, as an old man, had to travel to Egypt, but God was with him. And on his deathbed, Israel, Jacob, now Israel, saw Shiloh, saw the Messiah, and God said, I've never left you, and I won't leave you. I made a promise, and I keep it. There was another case in the Old Testament when God said, I will not leave you. In Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse number 6, Moses to the people of God, be strong and of good courage, fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that shall go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. They were facing the fight of their lives. They were fearing everything. They were facing the Canaanites. They were facing the Canaanites thousands of years before the Israelites were facing the same people today. Every single day, people in southern Israel wake up. They don't know if a bomb's going to come flying over from Gaza or not, or from the West Bank. I mean, they live in constant uh, state of apprehension in the nation of Israel today. And it's no different than it was 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. And that's why God said to the people, he said, they hate you. It has been engrafted into their very DNA by the sin of their forefather Esau. It is a down deep hatred, but he said, I will never leave you. Even though the world will hate you, I will never leave you. And then Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, verse number 5, here he had to take this great tribe of people. He had just been the, uh, the helper to Moses. And Moses was uh, such a great leader, and he had to take over for him. And he said this to the people, there shall not be any man able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Here, God tells Joshua, I'll be with you. I'll take care of you. You never have to worry about that. I will never leave you. Folks, what an amazing thing. God says, I will never leave you. He didn't leave Jacob, and he didn't leave uh, uh, here, Joshua. First Corinthians, or excuse me, First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20. David speaking to his own son. He said, God's been with me, son. 
God's been proven true time and time again. And here he declared to his own son, now as you take over, be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not, neither be distrayed, dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. He said, son, finish this thing. Finish this temple. That's your job. I've given you these materials. You got a job ahead of you. Finish it. God will be with you. I promise you, God has been with me all these years. And then in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 17, when the people were so struggling from their captivity, their preacher, prophet Isaiah, stood up and said, when the poor and needy seek water, these people were even needing water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. The Bible here is reminding us that He will never forsake us. He will love us, and He will always be there for us. He said, I, the God of Israel, will not forsake you. I am your Father. Do we leave Him, though? Do we, do we trust Him? Is this a promise we claim, or is it just kind of window shopping? Is it just kind of, you know, okay, that sounds good, or do we claim it? One man said to his wife, he said, honey, why do you call it shopping? You don't seem to ever buy everything. She said, well, why do you call it fishing? You never catch anything. And uh, that's the truth. So many of us, you know, we just kind of window shop the Bible. You know, we just, oh, that's a nice little verse. and That's a nice little thing there. And that's a nice little sermon. That's a nice little devotional. But God said, you need to get it into your spirit that God is looking at you and saying, I will never Okay, no, no, you don't get it. Never, never, no, no, okay. Two times is not even enough. I will never, never, okay, three times is not even enough. I will never, 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 okay, just so I can make sure you get this down. I will never, 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 never leave you. That's how many times it takes for us to get it through our head. How many times do you have to tell that until you get it through my head? God said, well, it looks like five times. Five times before you get it into your head. I will never leave you. That's the confidence that we ought to have. I will never leave you. He is our heavenly Father. Now, we are blessed, Pauline and I are blessed uh, when we came back. I'll tell you what, when we left, everything happened around this place. All kinds of sad things and crazy things and some blessed things. We uh, had a beautiful baby boy, uh, John and Ruth Ridge, little Johnson. Boy, what a beautiful little guy he is. And little Johnson is born, and we came back. First thing we wanted to do is go hug that little guy. Now, honestly, when you see that little baby laying there, I can't even imagine a parent ever leaving that baby. Now, you can kind of understand why sometimes marriage people want to leave each other. It gets to be so cantankerous and harsh with each other, but it's not right. But I'm just, you can kind of understand that. But I can't see anybody ever leaving a baby, can you? I mean, I just, in fact, the Bible even uses that illustration. It says, can a, can a mother leave a sucking child? I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just like 99.999. It would never happen. And yet it's possible it would happen. But God said, even though that might never happen, almost never, he said, I will tell you one thing that you can guarantee, and that is that I will never leave you. I will never, because I look at you just like a parent looks at their little baby. Just like we looked at little Johnson, God said, I look at you even more so than that. 
because I will never leave you and you can take that one to the bank. And God said, make that be part of your, of your mind. Make that be part of your lifestyle. You are cherished. Hey, I can be content. I've got a father who said, I will never, 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 never leave you. Even if everybody else does, I'll guarantee it, I will never leave you. These people who sometimes think they can lose their salvation, how sad. How many times does God have to tell us, I will never leave you. You're my child. You've got my DNA inside of you. You've got my very blood inside of you. I will never leave you. Once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you bow your head and say, God, I am a lost sinner and I need you into my life. I, res- I, want, you to be- I want to be saved and Lord, I ser- want to serve you with my life. Once that moment takes place, it is the most amazing feeling. I am now cherished by God. First of all, in this verse, we see a charitable conversation. That is, let's live a contented life. Second of all, a sweet confirmation. I am cherished by God. That leads us finally to a suitable conclusion. We ought to have courage. Verse number six. Let's read verse six together, if you would, out loud. You have verse six? All right, ready, begin. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. God said, okay, now don't just, don't just think it. Don't just, uh, don't just imagine it. Don't even just say it. Boldly say it. God said, boldly say this. Now, sometimes, you know, when we come to the things of the Bible, we just kind of, yeah, that's a nice thing. But God said, no, say it. We ask our children, say it. Now, say this. Say this after me. Say it. Sometimes, uh, you know, a sergeant will say, say this, private. Say it. And we want them to say it. Now, God said, I want you to say it. No, I want you to boldly say this. Now, many people say there's no guarantees in life. And it's true for the most part. There's so many uncertainties, so many unpredictable things. Who would have ever thought just a couple of weeks ago, you get up in the morning, and then by the end of the day, they'd be running for their lives there in Paradise, California. Life is so unpredictable. While life is so unpredictable, there's one thing that is a guarantee And God said, boldly say this, no matter whatever else happens, just simply say, God is my helper. (laughs) Look at that verse. Say this, the Lord is my helper. Say that with me this morning. The Lord is my helper. Now let's say it boldly. The Lord is my helper. Let's say it boldly again. The Lord is my helper. When someone comes to you and said, well, how are you going to do that? The Lord is my helper. Well, how's he, how's he going to make that happen? The Lord is my helper. How are you going to make ends meet and tithe? The Lord is my helper. How are you going to get up in the morning and read your Bible and you're so tired? The Lord is my helper. How are you going to serve God and have a godly family? The Lord is my helper. Say it boldly. Don't just say, well, I hope so. I, I try. No, God said, don't ever, don't ever waffle on this. Don't ever backtrack on it. Say it boldly. There's so many uncertainties in life, but, but if you can get this in your mind, it'll settle your contentment. God said, know this, first of all, I'll never leave you. You have me. You've got everything. I mentioned before, my Bible college teacher used to say, I hear all these Bible college students complaining and whining 
And he said, you remind me of the children of Israel. Poor me, all I have is God. Poor me, all I have is God. <laughs> hey, you've got God. And notice what it says. My helper. <laughs> God is my helper. <laughs> and now ponder this for a minute. The almighty God, the omnipotent, infinite God of gods, Lord of lords, is my personal helper. He's my assistant. And notice what the word is there, helper. It is the Greek word bythos. And it means one who runs upon hearing a cry. One who runs upon hearing a cry. Now it's one thing to cry out for help when someone to run to your aid, someone who's close by, who, but sometimes they can't help. It's kind of like when my wife was pregnant and in the delivery room there and cried out. I would run to her side, but there's nothing I could do. What can I do? One pregnant wife was asked, what is to you the most common pregnancy craving? And she said, for me, it's that the man would be the one who gets pregnant. That would be my best craving right there. Because men don't understand it. They can run to your side. They can try to help, but what can they do? In fact, sometimes they try to do something. The wife says, get out of here. I mean, it's just like you can't help. But the Bible says that God is my helper, one who comes at the cry of another. Now picture this for a moment. It says the God of the universe is my helper, is my helper. Now I want you to look at that verse more closely. It says the Lord is my helper. Now actually that little preposition S or uh, I-S is, that actually is not in the original language. So actually the verse would read, the Lord, my helper. Or actually, here the writer is basically quoting the psalmist in Psalm 33 in verse 20, where it says, our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. If you were to look at that verse there, you would find out that there is another compound named of Jehovah. We've heard of Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. You've heard of Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is our healer. You've heard of Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is our provider. This is the word Jehovah Ezer, or as it's pronounced, Ezer. E-Z-E-R, Jehovah Ezer. The Lord is our helper. That's his very name. That's his covenant name. When he got married to us, his very name means I help. Just like a husband has certain names that's associated with that covenant concept. How awesome that he is the helper. In an age of self-help books, it's so easy to find help for just about everything. And easy, just a quick search on Google, you'd find hundreds of thousands of self-help books. And like they say, there's a YouTube for that. <laughs> if you need help for anything, I don't care what it is, you can find a YouTube for that. But I don't know if you can find a YouTube for how to make sure that your children turn out serving the Lord, or how to make your spouse cherish you, or how to survive the death of a loved one. But while we may not be able to go on Google and find a self-help book, and while there might, might not be a YouTube video for it, one thing is for sure, the Lord, say it boldly, the Lord is my helper. The boldly to say that. I will not fear. The word fear there is the Greek word phobia. Phobia. I will not have a phobia 
what man shall do unto me. And honestly, a lot of Christians have phobias. They just do. I mean, they are so afraid of the future. They live stressed out lives. Afraid of the money situation. Afraid of some relationship situation. Afraid of their own health situation. Come on, stop it. That's a phobia. And that's not what God intended. I will not have a phobia. Because the Lord is my helper. Again, the Holy Spirit quotes David. Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is on my side. What shall man do unto me? It is said of General of President Lincoln, President Abraham Lincoln, during the War of the Rebellion, the Civil War, one of his generals came to him and said, I trust that the Lord is on our side in this battle. And Abraham Lincoln said to him, I think it's more important that we are on his side. But the fact is, we have God on our side. We really do. The Bible is our helper. I read an account of a group of scientists and botanists who were exploring one of the remote regions of the Alps, and they were in search of a new, very rare species of flowers. One day they noticed through binoculars there was a flower of the rarest beauty, and it would be incalculable, uh, its uh, benefit to science. But it lay deep in a ravine, covered by cliffs. To someone find that flower, they'd have to send someone over the edge, holding onto a rope. But it needed to be someone rather light because they didn't have all the necessary gear. They looked over in a saw, slender lad, and they looked at him and said, would you be willing to hold on to that rope and let us lower you down so that you could bring up that specimen of flower? He looked at them, and he looked over that cliff, and he said, I'll be right back. And he came back a short time later, followed by a gray-haired man. He approached the botanist and he said, I'll go over the cliff. I'll get that flower for you. As long as this man holds the rope. And they said, well, who is this man? He said, this man is my father. And as long as my dad is holding the rope, I'll go over the edge. Well, I will tell you one thing, folks. God is holding the rope this morning. He is holding the rope. He's holding it. I'll be your helper, he says. I know I'm not supposed to worry, and I'm not supposed to be concerned about the future, but honestly, I, I'll just be up front here, a little transparency. I do worry. I worry for our children. I worry for our grandchildren. I wonder what kind of future holds for them and all the sin and all the junk that's going on. I wonder if their husband or wife will stay faithful to the Lord. I wonder if there'll be a church like this one for our grandchildren and for our great-grandchildren. I wonder. And yet God says here, you can boldly say this, God will always help. God will always be there. The Lord, helper. We can boldly say that. Peter Marshall was one of America's most dynamic preachers in the mid-1900s was known uh, for his uh, colorful style and preaching and uh, great topics. He also became chaplain of the U.S. Senate. He died, however, suddenly at the age of 46 in 1949. In one of his sermons prior to that, he had said this, When the clock strikes for me, I shall go, not one minute early and not one minute late. 
Until then, I have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear because I am immortal until God says it's time to come home. I can boldly say, I always have the Lord. I always have the Lord. I close with this story. I love stories that come out of the Scotland, uh, my heritage homeland. One of the greatest hymn writers, which most people don't know about, is George Matheson. He's written many of the hymns that we sing. But there's one particular hymn that is just incredibly majestic and powerful. But the story behind it, I think, will make it even more meaningful to you. George Madison was a, Matheson was a student at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. He was taken with an eye disease and it began to be so terrible that he was informed that he would lose his eyesight. The doctor came in to him and told him the tragic words that, my friend, in three days, if nothing changes, you will be blind. And I would suggest to you that if there's anything you want to see, if there's anybody's face you want to see, then now would be the time because you probably only have three days to see anything else. He was shocked. He had a beloved girl that he had so hoped to marry. He wrote to her and told her his situation. And he said, would you please come to be by my side? Would you come and so I could see you? Because your face is the one, the thing that I would love to look at before I go blind. And she wrote him back and said, if you are glowing blind, I don't want to be married to you. I'm sorry. He was crushed. He went to his Bible and he picked up this passage in Scripture. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he wrote, as a result of that, one of the most beautiful songs that has ever been written. You'll remember some of the first words. Oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. Oh, joy that seekest, seest me through the pain. I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not in vain. That morn shall tearless be. He went on to graduate from the University of Edinburgh, became one of the most powerful and amazing preachers. Even though he was blind, God allowed him to touch the lives of so many people. What was the, what was the secret to his life? Contentment. He just found that though others may fail you, others may forsake you, God never will. Boldly say it, the Lord is my helper. And here the apostle says, that's the, that's the basis of contentment. I've got God. I've got everything. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.